0: Hello friends in Sydney from A to Triple Z An original four Triple Z podcast series diving into the station's archives to explore the patchwork past, cultural significance and incredible stories of Brisbane community Radio 4 Triple Z I'm Kristen Black and in November I had the privilege of interviewing Billy Bragg for the 4 triple Z 45th Birthday Podcast Series from A to Triple Z. Here is the full and uncut interview with Billy where he generously reflects on his first visit to Brisbane in 1987 and his legendary gig at East's Leagues Club. Billy's memory of that night is nothing short of remarkable. He was acutely aware of the similarities between Sir Joe and Margaret Thatcher and showed us great empathy while also giving us hope. The Bard of Barking still has a very soft spot for four Triple Z. Enjoy.
1: terror is complete.
0: Billy, um, wonderful to have you along as part of our 4 Z 45th Birthday podcast series. Um, I just want to start off tonight, Billy, or today for, for you. Um, how are you bearing in mind Great Britain's just gone into another lockdown and uh, the US is um, having probably one of the craziest weeks in its history?
1: Yeah, it's a kind of, uh, it's a very, very strange time this whole year. It's been a very, very strange year. Yes, we're going into our second lockdown. Obviously, it's not the same as the first lockdown. The first lockdown was a bit kind of like everything just literally stopped. I think everybody was like, oh, okay, how do we deal with this? But now we're all so used to it. It's not a huge difference. I mean, um, you know, I live out on the coast, so we're quite a long way away from any cities. And, you know, I only go into town once a week to do the shopping. And then I'm very careful, you know, I wear my mask, I, I use my hand sanitizer. So in that sense, it, it won't be a huge change. Obviously, there's no theatres open, cinemas aren't open anymore. Um, there's no gigs. So yeah, I I just have to bear in mind now that I when I go into town, I won't be able to, there's some things I won't be able to do. Uh, I should have got my a new battery for my wristwatch. Last week when I was in town, I forgot to do that. And, of course, now it's closed again for a month. But having said that, I think most of us will will manage a bit better this time, although it's going to be very tough for those people, particularly in the um, hospitality uh, 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 industry, who are just getting started again and are having to close down again. So whereas those of us who are in the uh, music industry, I've no idea when we're coming back. I've absolutely no idea.
0: Very tough for the music industry, and we felt that here in Australia. Yeah, um, we've had um, Melbourne shut down for a very long time. Just coming back now, and um, live music just coming back. And um, I'd love to talk to you a little bit later on about your um, uh, your shows that we've got um, hopefully going ahead in um, February here in Brisbane. But um, also, Billy, just want to um, just let you know um, uh, what I'm hoping to sort of cover tonight with you, if that's okay. uh, I'd like to ask you about um, your memories of your of your show in Brisbane in 1987, which is 33 years ago. Um, hard to believe. I was there as a young person and remember it fondly. Um, I'd like to also talk to you about the connection that was made between yourself and four triple Z right back then, which continued, which was wonderful. And, um, also want to sort of uh, set the scene with what was taking place in the world in 1987, like that backdrop, um, and the politics that, uh, we were going through here in Queensland at the time, which you were able to, um, understand and, uh, communicate that understanding so well to us that night. So, um,
1: Where do you want to start then, Chris? There's a (laughs) lot of stuff to cover there. Where do you want to start?
0: I'd like to start in 1987. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're 29 years old. Um, It's your first visit to Australia following the release of Talking to the Taxman about poetry. And that tour had five dates, starting in Brisbane. uh, You went to Sydney, you went to Melbourne. Um, But um, with starting in Brisbane, um, we were experiencing a very tricky climate in more ways than one. Um, What was it that drew you to Australia for that tour, and more particularly Brisbane? Brisbane.
1: Well, obviously, um, it was my first trip to uh, to Australia. I think um, the support from radio stations like uh, for Triple Z had managed to um, sort of drum up some interest in, in me coming. And the shows, I mean, the entire tour sold out. We did play, in, I think we did three nights in Sydney. And we might have done four nights in Melbourne because the, the shows were selling out and we were adding. And that really was down to, you know, stations like yourself. Uh, playing my music, I think at the time it was a lot harder to find out what was happening um, elsewhere around the world you know, when we came to Australia to tour, we couldn't find the, the football results out while we were here it was impossible, it's just like, you know there's just no way to do it, it may sound strange to listeners now who are used to just getting everything on their phone but back then, when you were gone, you were gone, particularly when you are gone as far as uh, as the Antipodes, and I went all the way to Dunedin in New Zealand, which is you know, for, for a English person, playing Dunedin, but Dunedin is the furthest city from where I'm actually sitting at the moment. So if you've gone that far... (laughs) So the whole trip was a bit like that. And it was all new. It was all new. Um, So not um, knowing anything about the politics, really, of Australia, talking to people, um, because we were in Sydney before we were in Brisbane, talking to people about what was happening in Australia, I realised that the politics was set up quite similar to the way politics were set up in the UK. Going to the United States of America, the politics there had absolutely no similarity whatsoever with what was happening in America. The two political parties at the time were so close to each other you could barely get a credit card between them. And the idea of a a, a party of Labour was just just didn't connect with them. So I had to, you know, I've been to America three or four times and I realised I had to talk to them in a different way to talk about socialism. But coming to Australia, it was a very similar connection. You know, the the unions were strong. There was a Labour Party. Um, So what I was doing at the time, which was working with an initiative called Red Wedge, towards working towards the 1987 election, which was in June that year, we were trying to unseat Margaret Thatcher. This was after miners' strike and uh, a lot of other um, heavy uh, industrial disputes in the UK. It seemed to me, from talking to people in Sydney about politics, because that's what you know people wanted to talk to me about. The place that had the closest similarity with what we were facing with Margaret Thatcher in the UK was Queensland with Joe Bilo Peterson. He seemed to be the, the the equivalent of Margaret Thatcher, that kind of hardcore um, conservative. Uh, trying to take things back to how they were in the 1950s, you know, anti-liberty, uh, uh, you know, the the way the um, Queensland Police Force had been uh, reacting to people was very similar to the way the Metropolitan Police had reacted towards people of colour in my country. So it seemed to me that Queensland was the place where um, perhaps what I was saying would have the most resonance.
0: So um, the backdrop to to that show in that particular time, um, the world was still in the grip of a cold war. Um, Reagan and Gorbachev, which you refer to them during the show, they were telling us about things like Star Wars and Perestroika. And um, as you've just said, you were living under Thatcher's Great Britain. We were living under Joe. Did you think 1987 Queensland um, was like a microcosm of what was taking place around the world?
1: Um, it it was, it's always interesting when you go to a place with a reputation for being, you know, uh, rabidly right wing as a left wing songwriter, you're always in the back of your mind thinking to yourself, how is this going to go? What's going to happen here? How am I going to deal with this? I once did a gig in, um, Tucson, Arizona, uh, where I very, very seldom, I don't ever played there since. It was a tiny little club and I went on stage and I could hear someone shouting at me, red fag, red fag. I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here red fag and i was like uh, you know i'm someone who believes that you have to kind of confront that so when things calmed down i, so I could kind of work out where this guy was coming from and i said have you got a problem mate and he shouted at the top of his voice red flag play the red flag and what happened was because of where i was my mindset going out there i was hearing red fag but what he was actually doing <laughs> was he was shouting for me to play the red flag because what happens is when you go to somewhere like Queensland or some, in the time of Sir Joe Biocchi-Peterson, or Tucson, Arizona. Because so few left-wing performers come, every radical from miles around turns up. They turn up, and they're really fired up for what you're bringing. They really want it. They're not just like, oh, you know, like they were in Sydney and Melbourne, like, oh, this is really nice. You know, Oh, no, you know, applauding. No, they were great. The crowds were great there. They've always been great. The crowds in Australia, always been really supportive. But in Brisbane... Everything seemed to be turned up to 11. I can remember on stage, I had Wiggy with me at the time, I, my sort of side man and, uh, and, you know, dear friend. And on the table, because there were tables there as well, there were people sitting at tables, and they had pitchers of, of clear liquid. And we thought they were, might be lemonade because it was clear, but it actually it was spirits. <laughs> And we were like, oh, okay, this is going to be, and also because it's a rugby club as well, isn't it?
0: It was Eastleigh's club, yeah. yeah, rugby. Yeah, yeah, league. and that's
1: that has, that has connotations in my country. Okay, rowdiness and stuff. So I, it was incredibly rowdy. It was a rowdy old gig, ooh, ooh. and and but not because people were uh, having at me, but because people were so psyched up for a bit of left. What well, they wanted to hear the red flag, you know, they wanted it. It was actually before I recorded that, so they didn't, weren't shouting for that, but they were up for, you know, Power in a Union, you know, uh, those kind of songs, Between the Wars, Which Side Are You On? That whole radical uh, tradition that I'd managed to plug into through my experience with the minor strike in the, in the UK, that's exactly what the people at the East Leagues uh, Club wanted that night. And and they, their response was incredible.
0: I remember the energy vividly, Um, it was one of my first concerts, I was not even really technically old enough to be there that night, but I was up the back standing on a table, that table collapsed, but um, I was able to to get a great view of you on that very high stage um, at at Easts. you you did certainly tap into that feeling that we, we had the frustration we shared with living under this very restrictive regime here in Queensland. Uh, for me personally, it was a real coming-of-age concert because um, I, I felt like I found my people and I felt like you, you understood us and you were giving us a voice. Um, you, you were speaking to us. Well-
1: I think, um, you know I was kind of touching a nerve I think that it was already there you know your radicalism was already there it just so happened that I was coming to to connect with that and it, and as I say that does happen in some places you go somewhere where something recently has happened and you and you find a much deeper connection than you would at another time but it doesn't often just come out of the blue like that and I think uh, we weren't expecting it I suppose we didn't know enough about East leagues and about Brisbane you know to, as far as as I was concerned, all I knew, I was going into the deep north and it could be like going and planning, you know, it could be, according to the, you know, people in Sydney and Melbourne, it could be like going to Alabama. It could be, could go either way. So, you know, once, once it was, po- po- the energy was not only was it positive, it was really turned up. I was just kind of fed up that, fed off that. So I, I, my gig as a result of that was a much more kind of pushing harder, uh, radical gig than perhaps I normally might have done.
0: See, so the Brisbane gig, um, compared to say Sydney and Melbourne on that same tour, um, had a different vibe, different energy level. It did yeah, it yeah. did.
1: Yeah, I I seem to remember. I don't know where I got this impression from, but I still have it that there there were Hell's Angels in the audience, but they were female Hell's Angels. Right.
0: Okay. And I don't
1: know where I got that impression from, but <laughs> there was kind. Of, it wasn't like a normal Billy Bragg audience. Something else was going on there. Right. And initially, you think to, when you walk out and you see them all like that, this. There's some places where when you go on stage, the audience make the noise that they're supposed to make when you come off stage. And when that happens, you know you're in for a really great night. You know? Yeah. It kind of like the audience. It means the audience are already fired up. And they're not just, like, really pleased to see you, Bill. It means they're really fired up. And then they themselves have already got to a level that you might take, you know, 20 minutes to wind them up to, if you play the right songs and say the right things, you might be able to get them up to that level. And then, you know, in the last half hour of the set, you're banging them with the, you know, hitting them with the bangers. And finally you let loose with New England, go over the top and it's all done. They've took them over the top. When you walk out on stage and they've already gone over the top, (laughs) you then got to think to yourself, okay, I'm going to have to make sure i keep on top of this because this gig could run away with me. Wow. This gig could really run away with me. And that doesn't often happen. Yeah. Um, And the first few times it had happened, um it can be a little bit scary but by the time I got to Brisbane I'd kind of understood it and it and it what it did was it upturned all my preconceptions about what the show would be like the rugby club Brisbane the deep north all that kind of stuff was upended by an audience that was incredibly enthusiastic for what I was bringing
0: Fantastic yeah um uh, listening back to the concert um now um I can hear the the energy um in the recording as as old and um, you know uh, not as clear as it probably could be after 33 years um, th- that energy is palpable and there's a very clear um, conversation going on between yourself and us in the audience not only uh, through your songs and your lyrics that are touching us but also what you're saying to us between the songs people remember that every bit as much if not more than the music you uh, were well, that-
1: I think I think you've got to talk to the audience particularly if you're um, wanting to talk about issues. It's not enough just to play the songs. You've got to try and connect with people. And one of the things that, one of the role of a singer-songwriter back then was to bring the news from one place to another place, to come to Brisbane and to talk to the audience about what was happening in the UK, what had happened during the miners' strike, what was happening with Margaret Thatcher, what I'd seen in the United States of America. Again, this is something that's been superseded by the internet. We all know what's happening in, in Pennsylvania this afternoon. So, you know... But that's not quite so important as it used to be, but back then it was much harder to, to to make that connection. So talking to the audience is absolutely crucial. I mean, it's what Woody Woody Guthrie did. You know, he took the news from one place, from Oklahoma, brought it to California, took it to New York, talked about his own experiences. Yep. So that aspect of the the kind of like, it's a kind of, I suppose it's a bit of a folk music thing. And for me, it was much easier because I was a solo performer. You know, I could react to things I'd heard that day. And, I'm, you know, I often, I often like to do that because I like the audience to know that I know that I'm in their town. Like, this is just not a, you know, some of the things I say every night, of course, because I'm setting up songs about, you know, the, the particularly pertain to something that's happened. But for me, a really good gig is where I'm riffing on something that happened that day or something I saw in that town, something that's either inspiring or, you know, vaguely comical. I will go off on one like that you know i listen back to some of my tapes and i'm talking about something that i don't even know what it actually is anymore but i'm laughing and the audience are laughing which is a great sign because i've obviously found there because if you can make people smile uh make people laugh when the politics comes it comes like an arm around a shoulder rather than a Punching the gut, and I think that's that's always been my mo is to draw people in, to entertain people, and then to give them the politics. Rather than you know hitting them all the time with the politics, I don't think that works. I've seen bands do that. I don't think it works so well.
0: Sure. Well, you do that so beautifully. A few songs in, um, you've come from Sydney, and you tell us a story about walking around Sydney and you spot a Volkswagen Beetle parked on the side of the road with a Joe for PM sticker on it. Uh, (laughs) Do you remember this story? Uh,
1: I don't. I'm sorry. It's a while ago.
0: Well, you, you're only a couple of songs in to the gig and um, this was the moment I felt that the the concert just erupted and it stayed at that level for the rest of the night. You you say you were walking around Paddington in Sydney with a few friends and you spot this Volkswagen Beetle with this Jofa PM sticker and you say, fortunately, it was a Volkswagen Beetle and the crowd erupts and we're not sure why it's fortunate. And you say... It's fortunate because it only took three of us to turn the fucker over.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the sort of thing I would say. (laughs) I I mean, you know, it's sort of like that's what you want to do. You want to make that connection with people. It's absolutely crucial. Brisbane is, or was to us, it's not now because I've been there many times, but it was a very strange place to, to come to. When we got, I think we, we might have got in the night before, maybe. We went to the hotel. We were staying down by the Botanic Gardens in a hotel opposite the Botanic Gardens. And there was, it was nighttime, there was something in the trees. Across the road from the hotel, like monkeys or something, climbing around in the trees. We were like, "What the hell is that?" We went over to see. There was great big bats. Oh. There was bats as, as big as me it's flying. I mean, and they were flying around the lampposts like a you know a moth might do, yeah. catching catching insects. Oh, that blew our minds. Yeah, that absolutely blew our minds. Yeah. So big, big Brisbane minutes. was a you know we had nothing prepared us for that.
0: No,
1: Brisbane was a strange place. Uh, in that sense but uh, it was also a strange place in it was one of those few places where I experienced what we laughingly refer to as brag mania and that's a thing that um, where you you kind of lose control of the audience a bit and um, you know things happen I did a gig once um, in Leeds where we had to throw a couple of fascists out and the when I say we, I mean the audience. I pointed to them and the audience kind of, without hurting them, just kind of pushed them out of the place. And, it, and it, the doing of this made the audience <laughs> go a bit kind of excitable. And they started, uh, f- people started fainting down the front of the stage. And, f- and, and we had to, <laughs> it was very strange. It was like being in the Beatles. Wow. But what happened in, in, um, in Brisbane was when we got back to the hotel, there were kids hiding in the bushes when we got back with the bus. And we got off the bus. All these kids ran out of the bushes and, and mobbed me. And we ended up, one of these kids' parents had a kind of uh, 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 an arcade, you know, we could play pinball machines. And we went to this arcade, and they opened it up for us. We went to this arcade and played pinball machines till 3 o'clock in the morning. Someone got some beer in. All these kids were there from the gig. And it was, that doesn't happen everywhere, you no.
0: know. I'd that, never that,
1: heard that yeah, yeah, and you go away and you think, okay, that's Brisbane. Yeah. You remember every time you come back, you remember that. You remember the, the you know the the energy of the people that they were so pleased to see you. That they went. I mean, people are always pleased to see you when you come to town. They bought a ticket. They're really pleased you're up on stage. They really love what you do. You come at the t-shirt store, off you shake your hand. They're really pleased to see you. But there are some places where it goes beyond that, and you you realise that it's something it as a much There's, there's beyond the excitement, there's a real kind of connection there. And I think um, Brisbane has always had that feeling. And, you know, the thing about Brisbane is it's kind of, with no disrespect to people in Brisbane, it's kind of the Norwich of Australia. And it could easily suffer from Norwich syndrome. And what Norwich syndrome is, Norwich is a city in the UK. It's a lovely city. It's a cathedral city. It's a university city. But it's, it's kind of right on the edge of East Anglia. It's not in between anywhere. You don't go there on the way to somewhere. So you go there often. If you're going to go there, you're going to have to want to go there. You, you, so consequently, not many people go there because it's like you can forget it's there. Yeah. You know, because it's easy to do in Australia because all the, you know, the, the main cities are uh, sort of you know closer together. And, and but for me, Brisbane's always been an absolute uh, must must visit city because in part of that energy. Uh, that I first experienced there, but also the people in Brisbane have always really been great. You know, I've made some, I've got some good friends up there, and you know, I think you've you've got to make the effort to to get to people and not expect them to in a country the size of Australia not expect people to have to fly all the way down to to see you.
0: Yeah, Brisbane used to um, miss out on a fair few um, tours. Um, a lot of that's people. See, that's it, yeah. Norwich. That's Norwich
1: syndrome. Right. You know, it's shameful. Yeah. I'm always on the. You know, I could I can't imagine doing a. a an Australian
0: tour without playing Brisbane. So, um, Billy, I want to just um, um, sort of um, put us back in the context of um, the fact that 4 Z was actually recording that concert in 1987. Um, it was recorded and then broadcast um, in full. Um, now, you... Um, that this seemed to be the uh, the start of a really um, lovely relationship that you formed with um, not only Brisbane but also Four Triple Z. Um, was was that concert your first um, introduction to Four Triple Z?
1: It was, yeah. I mean, it was my first my first time in the city. Um, Australia was really great for having you know stations a little like Four triple said they're kind of the equivalent of the american college stations that's right you know that were taking their their uh cues from somewhere other than the mainstream charts you know mm-hmm. i don't know this for a fact but i would imagine that you were looking at the british music papers yes um, yes like um that. That. yep enemy yep. yeah, yeah enemy yeah so in in those kind of places the college station in america your your independent stations in australia People like myself and the Pogues and the Smiths and those kind of bands, we we had a a, a, a real opportunity to go. When we came to a city like, like Brisbane, we had somewhere to go. We weren't on the outside looking in. And sadly, all the college stations in America have all gone. They've all been taken over. But you're still there. You're still there. You're still interested in talking to old geezers like me, who uh, perhaps don't, don't threaten the charts as much, or well, never never really did. So uh, it's not just me who's still around and, and pleased about that, but I think you should be proud of that as well. 4 uh, said should be proud of that as well for for hanging in there and still playing music that's outside of the, the comfort zone for a lot of people.
0: Thank you very much for that, Billy, and it's, it is a wonderful celebration to think that we're 45 years old this year. It's hard to believe um, yeah. on one hand, and when you consider, you know, some of the trials and tribulations this beautiful community radio station has gone through, particularly um, shortly after that 87 gig, really. Um, um, in 1988, uh, we saw a lot of changes here in Queensland. So Joe was not Premier anymore. His own yeah. party had... had uh,
1: Listen, I take no credit for that, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, you know as soon as I turn up, house came down like a house of cards. I'm saying nothing. I'm just sitting back here and smiling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a coincidence, I think not. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so Sir Joe was gone and he he was ousted by his own party ahead of his own desired date. Um, He wanted to retire on the 8th of the 8th 88 and um, they they made sure he was gone before that, which was a bit of a surprise. The National Party was not quite gone yet, but um, Sir Joe was gone. Um but 4 Triple Z was um at uh, the University of Queensland campus, that was its first home. Um and then um in the at four in the morning a, in December nineteen eighty eight a right-wing um, led student student union, which is quite an oxymoron in terms, of they they evicted Triple Z from UQ um, without warning, um, and um, it, it was it was we were homeless. The, they were broadcasting from the transmitters up at Mount Cutha and then we had to find another temporary home, um, and. Um, uh, fast forward another um, eighteen months, and um, you're back at East Lee's Club playing um, like a fundraiser um, for, uh, for at at our market day for four zzz Z. So your support for the station in all of its um, highs and lows was was really evident. So thank you for uh, for coming sure. back.
1: You know, I think it's the very least I should be able to do after the support you've shown me. Because you know, you can guarantee there was nobody else in Queensland playing my records in 1987. You know, I'm I'm totally aware of that. So you know, you're you're responsible for what putting Queensland, uh, putting Brisbane on the map for me, um, and to be able to come back still and see you, it's kind of you know. We've we've been through a lot together and we're still here. We
0: we have and it's 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 that was the start of a beautiful friendship. Um and um, I understood that you were a, a musician subscriber to our station and international I was indeed. That, which was yeah, that's really special for us as well. So thank you for, for all your support um, of Triple Z over the years and, and particularly in our trickiest hours, um, in the late nineteen well, eighties. Thank,
1: thank you thank you for your support for me, you know, because that's the nice thing to be able to come back come back to the city and, and find you still there and, and hang out uh, uh, as well. It's uh, it's, it's encouraging, you know, it's encouraging. So much has disappeared from the, the way the music industry used to run, the way the live industry ran, the venues are gone. Is the East League still there?
0: Uh, East Leagues is still there. It looks a little bit different these days. It's a little bit uh, more snazzy these days, you could say. Oh, snazzy, <laughs> that's
1: not good at a rugby club. <laughs> no. Snazzy rugby club. They don't go together, though. <laughs> no. I
0: that's right. I had a look at their website today um, and it it looks very different to to the way it did in the late 1980s. they still selling jugs of spirits. It, so I bet they are too. No, you you actually refer to Easts um, throughout the set as a as a strange shaped rugby club, and and that's my memory of it as well. It it was a bizarre shape of a rugby club. It was kind and it of had a
1: high stage, didn't it? At a quite a high stage.
0: It had a very high stage, um, and that it might always ex-
1: makes you nervous. The, the high stage is kind of the equivalent of chicken wire across the front of the oh stage. Oh, right, like, blues I brothers to stop climbing up and. Grab an audience and stuff like that. It's always a worry when you come to a place
0: like that. I can understand. I do remember people at different gigs there. I saw Sonic Youth there maybe two years later and um, there were there was a lot of stage diving. So I hope those people made it through wow. those nights, yeah. But it was a strange-shaped yeah. venue and um, very high stage, hence the, the table surfing that I was doing that particular yeah. night. Um, but um, I just, if it's okay, Billy, I'd like to talk about uh, a couple of the... Um, the songs that you played in your sure. – tw- you played 23 songs that night, actually. Um,
1: well, and when that, that happens, when the audience take control of the gig, you know, that's – because normally my set would be about 18 or 19. A similar thing happened to me in uh, Adelaide last time I was in Australia. I had a night off uh, before going to Perth, and I was hoping to uh, take a ride on the Gann. Up the middle of Australia, I've always wanted to do that, but they added an extra show in Melbourne. And it kind of balls it all up for me, so I had this day between Melbourne and Perth. So they put me on in in Adelaide at the Gov, and I hadn't played. I've been playing. I've been touring the the Train Record with Joe Henry, and I hadn't played an electric show for about a year, and I wasn't even sure if I could remember how to do it. So I kind of wrote a, a set list, and it was Monday night, and it was raining. I thought this could go really wrong, this. if I'm not careful here. It's going to have to really concentrate. But unbeknownst to me, it was the Monday night before Anzac Day. So the next day was a day off. So it was like a Saturday night. Everybody was up for it. And at some point, I started playing songs from Brewing Up. And then I played the entire, as much as I could remember of Brewing Up, as long as the audience could remember the first line of a song. And I ended up playing like 25 songs. And it was great fun. I don't know, though. I did say to the audience at some point, I don't know if I'm indulging you or you're indulging me. I don't know really what's going on here. But those kind of gigs, when you, you take the set list, throw it out, and just go with the mood, that, that's always a good sign, you know. Absolutely. That's always a good
0: sign. So that was in your, that's your bash, what do you call it? bash them up.
1: bash them out brag.
0: bash them out brag, that's right. Yeah, you and a I'm guitar. i do that when I have to. <laughs> you and a guitar and an amplifier and and we love it it's kind of, it, I remember that night um, you were up there on the stage and you were kind of like in it was like seeing um, a busker um, but I don't know. It, with with um, this powerful connection to us, um, you were you were very funny, um, very t- tapped into what we were dealing with, um, and yet you were able to weave um, politics um, through through your songs and through your humor. It was a wonderful cocktail um, that you brought to us that night, and and um, people people still refer to what their favorite moment of that show was in different ways. It's it was it was very very special. Um, so just thinking back to, to some of the songs, one of the songs that um, really stood out um, for us that night, when nine songs into the show and you start playing um, the Saturday Boy and you give us the backstory of that beautiful song, how it's, it's your story and you say not all songs are about your love adventures or misadventures, but this one is. Um, you, it brings tears to our eyes. You talk about how... You always hear the trumpet coming in, even when the trumpet's not there. Um, and what I've um, found through talking to young men who were at that show, uh, Jeff Wilson included, uh, is that it um, it it encouraged... that young
1: man. <laughs> that particular young man of all the young men in Queensland, you should talk to him. How how scary? With my regards.
0: I will. I will. I found out he used to catch my bus when I was twelve through our our talking. It's bizarre. Um, but anyway. Um, a lot of these young men who are now, you know, in their fifties, um, say that your songs, uh, such as "The Saturday Boy," gave them the courage to not only pick up a guitar and sing, but also to express their feelings um, when they were in relationships. It's, it was like you gave them permission to suddenly, you know, be a young man and talk yeah, about well, the we feelings. Yeah, we all
1: need a bit of that. Everybody needs a bit of that. You know, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, you know, coming to terms with adulthood. Um, you know, it's a challenge for everybody. And, and there aren't many, you know, handbooks about exactly how to do that. So if you can give someone, offer someone some reference points, not, not, not direct lessons, but reference points, reflections on your own experience, you're kind of helping them to, to, you know, map out their own path through that minefield of, of growing up and dealing with relationships with with people, um, you know, intimate relationships. And I think that's that's what music did for me it kind of gave me a, a a a means of of you know comparing my experiences in relationships with somebody else's all right I was I was comparing mine with Smokey Robinson's but you know it it helps in that sense you know you there was no way you couldn't google it in those days you had to rely on any information you could get and one of the things that um I was doing was you know, when it came to the politics, I was rough and tough. But when it came to love songs, I was a much more vulnerable person because that's that's who I was, and that's reflected in the songs. And I think that vulnerability is not a bad thing. It's a kind of anti anti macho thing. It's based on um, it's based on empr- embar- in, um, embracing your insecurities rather than trying to cover them up by being uh, macho, you know, and and accepting that's part of who you are. And it's not, it's not such a bad thing. You know, most of us are like that. There's very few, um, you know, love gods out there. Most of us are making it up as we go along.
0: I personally want to thank you for um, Levi Stubbs' Tears, actually, because I was learning guitar at high school and saw you on. Um, I saw the video clip to Levi Stubbs' Tears, and I was not yet in the world of bar chords. And I watched what you were oh. doing on your on the on the fretboard, and it was like, yeah, an epiphany for me. Going, oh, that's what he's doing, and I tried. Yeah, it. That. So thank that's you. How, I mean,
1: again, you know, not at all. That's, that's how you would learn. There's no way to Google. The dots for that, you know, you had to go and find someone, and and you know, in the old days, people had to learn by sitting on the stage and watching people play. Even I mean, yep. at least with we, those days, we had videos; you were able to access a video of it. That's right. But yeah, barcodes are bar always a bastard. So I still have problems. With it.
0: Billy, we get to the end of your set, and you finish with a New England, um, but you come back out for five more songs with in an encore um, with Wiggy for a thirteen yeah. um, as well. Yeah. And um, in your encores, you, you mention the importance of freedom of the press and you dedicate, it says here, to Rupert Murdoch. Um, you also address your disappointment with the Labor Party in the UK and that uh, apathy, you feel, is the greatest obstacle to change. Do you think much has changed in since 1987 or are those issues still really present and relevant?
1: Well, I think they are. I think they they're perhaps more relevant now because it's possible for you to um, get your information from one political source. You know, you might, you might listen to four or five uh, different sources, but they, they, you tend to tune into something that you, that, that uh, underscores all your beliefs rather than challenges them. Um, and that's what we, that's what we really need. And with regard to the um, apathy, yeah, I think that, although I, I think I've come to understand over the years that the real enemy of all of us who want to make the world a better place actually cynicism. Uh, and our own cynicism as well, not the cynicism of Rupert Murdoch and his newspapers, but the cynicism, the cynicism of those of us who want to make the world a better place. Because there's so much out there to make you feel cynical. I mean, the last few years with Brexit in my country, with Trump in America, um, you know, there's enough there to make anybody want to switch off and say, you know what? I can't do this anymore. But that's what Murdoch wants you to do. Murdoch wants you to say, oh, "I can't. I can't be dealing with this anymore." You know, the real challenge to all of us is to overcome that and to to find, even though it's 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 tough, uh, to to find some empathy mm-hmm. uh, and to to you know not not give up on that because it is. It's what we on the left are all about. Really, we're all about empathy. We're all about understanding other people, feeling uh, for other people's experiences. And conversely, that's what music is about. You know, the best pop music makes you experience something that you might never have felt before. It makes you see the world from another person's perspective. So empathy is our great great currency in music. And, you know, the last few years, empathy has been dismissed and discredited by, by the likes of Trump and Boris Johnson. Um, you know, that any sort of compassion has been derided. And I think the reason why they, they're so dismissive of, of empathy is because they understand that if you mix empathy with activism, you get solidarity. And that's what they worry about more than anything else. People coming together to ensure that the world is a, a, a fairer, a safer and ecologically uh, 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 a sustainable place, that's the thing that worries them the most. So, you know, my job is not to, you know, just be political, but to make sure that what I'm saying is, you know, is underscored by that empathy. That's what we're dealing with. And it's not just political <clears throat> songwriters, by the way. I'm, I'm talking about anybody who writes songs. You know, Adele's songs are all about empathy as well.
0: And music has that really special power to connect. Um, it
1: does. That's the power it has. I mean, people get a bit upset when i tell them that music can't change the world but you know much we know it's it's frustrating for two reasons one um because we know it, it it deeply moves us and two it's often um articulates things that we can't say in in just in straight conversations but the thing is it has no agency it really has no agency but the role it does have is to encourage people to themselves to act, to offer them a different perspective and for them to go away and change the world themselves if that's what they want, rather than relying on some bloke up on stage with a guitar to do it for them. I've always been against that. I've always been trying to challenge my audience, if you like, to go out there and, and make that difference.
0: That's a really good point, Billy, because it, it leads me to what I was about to um, mention to you about the last song of of the night at East Leagues Club in 1987. Your final song that night was um, you, you did a cover of the beats, uh, Stand Down Margaret, um, which was a, a plea or a demand for, for your Prime Minister to step aside, and it seemed to sum up this, a sense of frustration that you were feeling back home, um, again, paralleling our experience here with Sir Joe. And in between the verses, you once more connect with us and you say, we have a word for you, Sir Joe, and the word we have is no. And you you also recite his famous or infamous utterances. You, you're you totally across it. You said, Sir Joe says, don't you worry about that. You leave it to me. Lady Flo will speak to me. God will speak to me. Um, and then you went on to say, he thinks he's on a mission to make this country a mini South Africa. But then you put it to us, the audience, um, in the song. You say, what are you going to do? You and you and you. So you hand it over to us at that moment, at the end of the night, after we've just been in the palm of your hand, um, after 23 songs. And exactly what you were just saying, it's, it's over to you guys now. Do something about, if you're not happy, do something.
1: Yeah, because there's, although I didn't realise it in those early days, the way that works is that there's a solidarity in song. You know, when you were in the audience, I mean, I don't know how, you said, how old were
0: you? I was 17.
1: Yeah, you know, you're in a room with all these politically charged up people. I don't know what your experience was, but you may never have been in a room like that before. You may never have been in a room to see a load of people singing There Is Power In The Union at the top of their voices. And what I want is for you to go away and everybody else to go away feeling the same way that I feel when I see an audience react like that, which is that I'm not the only person who gives a shit about this stuff. Now that- there are other people out there who care, but it's more important for you because you live in this town. The next day I'm in another town laying that same trip on another audience. I'm gone, but you're still there. And you know, you take away from that night, a small nugget of solidarity that, you know, there's a room full of people in Brisbane who give a shit about this stuff. You are not alone. And that's the power that music has, not the power to create change, but the power to inspire people, to to give people that momentary sense of solidarity, whether it's political or emotional, because it works on an emotional level too. You know, if you have a song that you really invested a lot of emotion in and everyone's singing at the top of their voice and the person who wrote it is singing it and you're singing it, you get a solidarity from that as well. But in that particular case, on that particular night, what I was doing at the end there was really about trying to fire up reflect back onto the audience the activism that I was experiencing from that audience and, and reflect it back onto them so that they took took away because they, they, they left with their activism supercharged because I left with my activism supercharged after that gig.
0: Yeah, that wonderful connection and conversation that was happening all night. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And at the end of that song, you don't leave straight away. You squat at the front of the stage, and you stayed there for quite a while talking to us um, about whatever it was that we wanted to ask you. You signed whatever it was we put under your nose, and that meant so much to us um, because we we really felt that you got us and there was a connection. Um, well, that's,
1: that's, you know, that's how I found out about what was happening in Queensland, doing that in Sydney, people oh, telling me about because, you know, that's where you find out because all the things you've talked about politics, people are psyched up about politics. They want to come and tell you what's going on. Right. I want to come and tell you what they're doing. I want to come and tell you what struggle they're involved in. And because we, you know, because we were going to Brisbane, because Joe was such a a, a bogey man for the the progressive uh, uh, politics in Australia, everyone was talking about him, and I knew about him. I probably was riffing off him as well when I was in Sydney and Melbourne, because he was such a uh, you know a, a target there for me to to make a point about Thatcher. You know, in many ways, him being there allowed me to to Make the comments I wanted to make from a British perspective to connect with, with your experience in Australia by using him there. So, and, and I would have learned that from sitting on the stage talking to people after the show. That's that's you know how else would I learn? You know how else would I get that perspective? It's absolutely and still is because that you know I still try and do that when I can, and I still learn stuff that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. So it's a crucial part of what I do.
0: Thank you for that, because that um, that that is a really uh, special lingering memory for those of us who who were there that night. Um, and I, I also wanted to ask you, Billy. Um, you know, we're, we've been so fortunate to have you back in Brisbane um, several times since nineteen eighty seven. Um, I was fortunate enough to see you again in nineteen eighty nine um, at that um, support for, for for Triple Z's eviction. Um, but um, We've been watching we've been watching um, you know your announcements about your proposed show for uh, February twenty twenty one here at the Trifid. Um, I, I heard word today that that show is going ahead. is is that um, is is it official that um, that trilogy of shows will be taking place here in Brisbane?
1: I uh, fear not. Oh. I'm afraid Kristen, oh. I think there's every possibility that these are going to be pushed back another year, unfortunately. Oh, that's uh, the, the, yeah. The the promoters are very concerned that while Australia might be free of uh, COVID, that uh, those of us coming from abroad, uh, we still won't be able to come into the country. And I think you know it's beyond all of our control. It, it really, I find it really, really frustrating. Mm. Um, but ultimately, you know, we it, it, this, this will happen. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, of as and when. So I I fear that um, you know in the next few days they'll they'll you know we'll, we'll have to really think about whether whether or not we're coming because it is uh, it's getting close. People start you know uh, planning for all these kind of things, and I don't want to, people have already been let down once the promoters and you know and, and those kind of people at the end of venues. Um, you know we we. We have no control over it at the moment, as I say, we're just coming back into lockdown over here. So, <clears throat> much as it may seem that now that Victoria is coming out of it, that's it, you have another winter to face.
0: That's right,
1: and uh, you know, that's so our winter has unfortunately brought the whole thing back again. So, I think everybody's erring on the side of caution at the moment. So, it may be 2022 before I see you in Brisbane, I'm afraid.
0: Okay, that that is sad for us here, Billy, but I um, totally understand, you know, particularly given what's happening over. It's beyond my control. I mean, yeah. you
1: know, as a, my son is incredibly frustrated by this because he's a musician and he's in Brighton and he's, you know, wanting to do gigs. He was starting to get a bit of a head of steam. And I'm saying to him, son, look, if it was just you that couldn't do gigs and everything else was carrying on, then then you could, you know, you could feel hard done by. But this is everybody. This is happening to everybody. There's nothing in you know in our control that we can do to to change that and I want these gigs to be everybody together and get that fabulous feeling we get when we come together that moment we share in the dark again and I feel confident that people will will come back to gigs when this is over because we need that we need that communion that we get from a gig but it's got to be safe exactly. everyone's got to be confident that they can come in and, and enjoy themselves and sing at the top of their voices and not um, get ill themselves or make anybody else ill. So yeah. well, I think we're just going to have to, unfortunately, like so much this year, frustratingly, we're going to have to be patient about this.
0: I love the format of this trilogy. Um, it's called One Step Forward, Two, Two Steps Back, uh, three shows on three consecutive nights uh, the first one being your current set, the second one uh, focusing on your first three albums and the third night concluding with your first decade of recording. Of those three uh, nights, what one do you think would most closely resemble March 1987?
1: Oh, I think it would probably be the the second night.
0: Okay, that's, those the, three albums. that's the one I'll be at. Yeah, <laughs> That's
1: the one that always sells out first. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. It's yeah. the one people really, really like, and I can understand that.
0: Yeah.
1: and it's funny because the the obviously the the first night is my, my the set I would play if I just came and did a one one night show in your town, which has elements of the you know the first six albums are in there. You know, Levi Stubbs is in there, uh, Great Leap Forward is in there. But the 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 second night is really is Basham Out, Bragg.
0: Fantastic. You know, it's,
1: it's the fire and the fury, but then the 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 third night, which is um, is uh, workers' playtime. Uh, Don't try this at home. And William Bloke. It's it's hard to do that because so many of the songs from that period are ballads. You know, it's when I was turning into a soul sing, You know, it's all uh, must I paint you a picture, and uh, Valentine's Day is over, and Cindy of a thousand lives, and you know there aren't so many gut punch kick-ass kick-ass out, Bragg songs in that period. I, I, I struggled to get the, you know, because what you want in a set is you want it to sort of start fast, have a middle bit in the end, and then shoot off like a rocket at the end, getting faster and faster. Um, but it's harder to do that. But it's interesting because it, it takes me out of my comfort zone and it forces me to think about the songs more. And I like that. It would be rotten if I just went out there and just played the same songs every night and just, you know, it was all just lickety split. It forces me to, to think harder about how am I going to link from this song to this next song in a way that's both, you know, uh, current and entertaining.
0: I love the way um, not only each night will have its own journey, like the, the three nights have their own story to tell um, separately as well. So um, yeah. and I've been speaking to some people who have got, uh, who are hoping to see you for the package, you know, all three nights. So um, uh, it, it sounds like an amazing uh, gig when we... It's a lot of
1: fun. It is. It's, yeah, a, real, it's yeah. a real lot of fun and, um, you know... It, because you can you can obviously being solo I can tweak the songs uh what I play every night to fit the mood of the audience which is is a great thing to be able to do so i and also it kind of sort of gets you off that you know fly play fly play fly play treadmill which is neither good for the soul or good for the uh environment, so you know it slows everything down a bit and it gives you a bit more chance to connect with the place where you are rather than going through like pork for a goose, you know, there you were gone.
0: Yeah, yeah. Have you been to the Triffid in Brisbane before?
1: I think I have, yeah. I've yeah. played there a few times Fantastic. if I seem to remember. So yeah, very much looking forward to uh, to that. As I say, always have a great time in Brisbane.
0: Fantastic, we are so looking forward to seeing you back on our shores, Billy. We um, we have such a soft spot for you here at Four Triple Z, and we're delighted that um, firstly we're able to have this conversation tonight and. Um, Very delighted that you can be part of our forty-fifth birthday celebration via the the podcast, which I will send to you when it's all been um, edited and um, and finished off. Well, Billy, thank you so much for your time this evening or this morning where you are. It's been yeah. Well, thank
1: you for for involving me in this this celebration. It's amazing that you that we're boasted around.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Thirty-three years, Billy, since that night.
1: Doesn't seem it doesn't seem like this the other week as you said it's very strange and I always imagined I came to Australia earlier than 1987 I was quite surprised when I realised that was my first tour mm. but um, yeah it was a it's you know it was the beginning of a really great relationship with the uh, with the audience in Australia they've always been very very supportive of what I've done it's one of those places where that's why I'm you know I'm not too though I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated by the fact we're having to put these dates back again. I, I know that when I come there, the audiences will be really into what I'm doing, and uh, and who knows, I might even have a new album out by then.
0: Wow! Wow! Okay, a bit of uh, inside oh, no, Jeff
1: Wilson. Whatever you do, don't tell Jeff. Wilson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, uh, there is some there is some plot to uh, use up some of this downtime to do some more recording stuff so. fantastic
0: yeah yeah well that's that's one of the the uh, the silver linings of what we're all going through right now yeah exactly. yeah, yeah well wonderful to meet you Billy at long last um and
1: lovely to talk to you as well thank awesome.
0: you Thank you and i look forward to seeing you um, when you're next on the on yes, the, Soon. Yes. <laughs> Soon, yeah. A- absolutely. And um, I h- wish you all the best under you know current circumstances um, with covid and everything else that's going on and um
1: talking to you this morning as well. Thank Kristen. you thank Billy. Thank you very much for giving me part of your celebrations.
0: Thank you Billy, you take care.
1: you next time. See ya. See you later so
0: skilled, I never knew you cared, love
1: gets dangerous, love gets dangerous, dangerous, there's a fear that comes from being in danger, being in love with a total stranger, putting our futures in jeopardy, when love is a secret, fear is the in the street. My terror is complete.